I'll invite all of you now to take a Bible to open it to Paul's letter to Philemon. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, this is on page 940. And we'll read this short letter in its entirety. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he is parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the third week that we have read this letter. The first week we primarily considered it from the perspective of Onesimus who is the runaway slave who Paul is sending back to return to Philemon and to, with this letter, request to be set free. That's what Paul is asking for when he is saying Onesimus has become a brother, he's become a son to me, he's become useful again, which is a play on his name. This name, Onesimus, is a fairly common name given to slaves in the first century. And Paul is writing this letter requesting that Philemon would grant him freedom, that he, he would no longer feel like a fugitive or a runaway. He would no longer have this burden over his head about being caught and transported back. 
but that the very person who could press legal charges against him would be willing to forgive and to set free this person. That's what this letter is written for. So we considered it the first week from the perspective of Onesimus as the runaway slave, and then last week from Paul's perspective as writing from a prison in Rome, but writing as the person who knows both of the individuals involved and who, because of what Paul believes God has done for him in Christ, was willing to be the mediator between the two. So that's when Paul said, if he owes anything to you, charge it to my account. If there's any reason you couldn't accept him back and set him free, no longer a slave, let me bear the cost of whatever is required. And so we saw Paul's willingness to be a mediator in this situation, to be the one who would help bring reconciliation because Paul believed that Christ is the one who's reconciled us as sinners to God himself. So if we believe that God has reconciled all of us to himself, part of our work daily and the work that we support in global missions is to encourage the work of reconciliation. And today I'd like to look at it now from the perspective of the person to whom it is addressed, to Philemon. He is uh, a partner in the work of the kingdom. That's how we're uh, first introduced to him. Paul's effusive with praise in verses four through seven. I I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints and I'm praying for you to be effective and so he addresses him as a fellow worker and then says later, if you consider me a partner, do this for me. <clears throat> so, and this letter is not only addressed to him, but to a few other individuals, and it says to the church that's gathered in your house. So Philemon is a fairly well-off man. He has a house that's big enough for the church to meet in, and that's where they gathered. And so not only is he well-off, but he's seems to be fairly generous with what he has. And so Paul can say to him, not only are you living out your faith well, but you encourage so many people through your faith. That's the kind of partner he is in the work. And Paul's been the beneficiary of that, and the entire church in this city has been the beneficiary of that. So there's a temptation when someone is a partner in the work and they live a really good life, and they do a lot of good things, to then not want to disrupt that and not want to bring up a subject that might be uncomfortable or to say something that might be challenging to someone who is so helpful and instrumental to the work. And so Paul is careful in how he does it. This isn't a, <clears throat> this isn't a letter of airing dirty laundry of what's going on, This isn't a letter with a tone of a lot of accusation in it. Paul's not read a book on psychology to say, you know, start with an encouragement and end with an encouragement and put the criticism in the middle, but that's actually exactly what he does because he just knows people. And because this is a partner. This is someone that he can speak lots of words of affirmation about. Paul's not being superficial and making up any of this. This is a real leader in the church who's been very generous with what he has. Many people have been the beneficiaries of this generosity. But sometimes when we're the beneficiary of someone's generosity, it blinds us to then challenge them or call them out on other areas 
where there is still a need for growth because no one has it all together. No one is perfect yet. Every one of us has something in our lives that we could be criticized for. But if people look up to us as a leader, as having authority, as having wealth, they are less inclined to then tell the truth to us about the things that we struggle with. And this is a partner in the work. This is someone that if this letter goes bad, Philemon says, forget this. You don't appreciate everything I do and where I've been wronged, you don't seem to care about, you want me to absorb the cost of all that? Like this could go bad in a way that wouldn't just affect the relationship between Paul and Philemon, but then it would affect the whole church that's gathered in this city if this doesn't go well. But Paul doesn't allow any of those good things in Philemon's life to blind him, to speak the truth to him as someone who loves him dearly. I found this a helpful description uh, in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity where all of us are open to coming to God with some of our stuff, but we just don't want God to get involved in all our stuff, you know? And one of the images that he uses is we want God to come in and like remodel a part of our house. Like we can acknowledge the kitchen needs to be done, but he has this way that when you give him the key and he comes in, he's like, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about that? And he wants to actually redo the whole thing. We don't like that. We, we want to give him the problems that we want him to work with. And we want to leave him out of the rooms that we don't want him to be involved in. And so uh, for C.S. Lewis, he describes this as it relates to like a toothache as a child. So when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she'd give me something which would deaden the pain for the night and let me go to sleep. But I didn't go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. The reason I didn't go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I couldn't get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I didn't want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I couldn't get it without having my teeth permanently set. And I knew those dentists. I knew that they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they took an L. And so he compares this to the becoming a Christian. He says, this is why Jesus warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that's what you're in for. Nothing less or other than that. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you don't push me away, understand that I am going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest, nor let you rest, until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you as he said he is well pleased with me, this I can do and will do, but I will not do anything less. And yet this is the other side and equally important. The helper who will in the long run be satisfied with nothing less than absolute perfection will also be delighted with the first feeble, stumbling effort you make tomorrow to do the simplest thing. And then he quotes George MacDonald to say, 
God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. God genuinely rejoices when we take our first steps in faith, even though we might take two steps and fall over. I mean, he's the parent who's thrilled that we just took our first steps, but he wants us to take more than two. He wants us to take four and then eight, and then he wants us to learn how to jog and then run, and he keeps drawing us further along. And in our growth in him, we have to consider if we are open to God entering into every area of our lives. And for Paul, it's this reality that though Philemon is a leader in the church, he's generous with what he has, he still owns slaves. And he wants to challenge him that the gospel, if he understands it rightly, will not allow him to continue to do that. And God wants to challenge him on this. Though he's a partner in the work, he's not blinded to calling out this person who he loves to do more, to let God keep working. He's a partner in the work and he's a brother in the faith. This relationship is that they are family and so Paul can have this difficult conversation and Paul believes that this isn't the end. He doesn't believe this letter's gonna go bad. There's risk involved, but already at the end, Paul is saying, and make, make room for me. Keep praying because I'm hoping to visit you soon because you're my brother. You've got this blind spot. There's this area where the gospel is still being lived out in your life and you need to think through areas of repentance on your part, but you are my partner and you're my brother. So it's not, I see this in you and so I want nothing to do with you. It's I see this in you and because I love you, I'm gonna tell you about it and I can't wait to see you face to face so that we can talk about it together. I can't wait to come and see now this gathered house church in your home and no one owns anyone. Paul's like, I, I want to see it myself. Get that guest room ready because I believe you're going to listen to me. I believe you're going to set him free and I want to see it myself. And so he's speaking in this language of family, of brotherly love. There's no sort of ultimatum here that if you don't do this, I want nothing to do with you. There's a relationship here that allows Paul to have this conversation with him that Philemon is reading and processing and Paul's reminding him, I'm saying this to you as my brother. I'm saying this to you as family. This is thick enough that we can talk about these things. Uh, yesterday, I took my nephew. He was in Ohio for several weeks and when he flew here from uh, California, his mom came with him, but then after a few days, she returned home, and so they set him up on a one-way flight to fly back by himself. And so I had to take him to the airport, and he's an unaccompanied minor now taking a flight from Cleveland uh, to LAX. And so I got my own security badge, and so I got to see everything that uh, an airport and an airline does when there isn't a family member who is there taking the journey with a person to make sure I was who I said I was and to make sure he got where he was going. And so he had a bracelet on his arm that had to be scanned. And uh, I tried at the check-in counter. I was like, can I upgrade him to first class and you charge the credit card that booked this flight? I'm like, can I authorize that and charge my brother first class? And uh, <laughs> they wouldn't let me. I was like, come on, you're like trusting me with everything else. Like, why can't I authorize, you know, an upgrade for this kid's 12. He's about to fly. They wouldn't let me do it. So... 
uh, he didn't get an upgrade. But when I took him there, uh, he's not too nervous, and uh, I know he's going to do a great job. Uh, but I look over, and I happen to see someone who I grew up with, uh, who has uh, family here. I'm seeing Randy and Paula here, but uh, Roger Likovic is standing there. I'm like, Roger. And I remember, Roger lives in California. And I'm like, are you on the 745 flight uh, to LAX? He's like, yeah, I am. Oh, my goodness. And he grew up with my brother and I. We know him. And now I have someone that I can say, here's my nephew. He's about to be on this flight by himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I'll, yeah, I'll gladly check with him. So when I got to the point that I couldn't go any further, it was Roger walking him down into the plane and making sure, you know, he got seated. It was just one of those, yeah, you couldn't plan for that, but such a gift and a kindness because there's hundreds of people there, but I don't know them. And I, I don't know which of them I can trust and not trust. And there are relationships that have existed longer and are thicker. And there's an assurance that those relationships bring in moments of insecurity that are just you, you can't replace it. You can't put a value on that, to know someone in that way. And in the gospel, all of us have come to accept that Christ was willing to die so that we could be brothers and sisters. So we have a completely different way of evaluating people and relationships now. If he was willing to give his life as a sacrifice so that we could be brothers and sisters, it changes, it should change how we view one another. And so for Philemon, it's Paul saying, I am a brother, God has done this. And now he's a brother in this equation. All of us are in this family. And if, if the God of the universe valued Onesimus so much that he died on the cross, basically he was willing to die the death that often slaves died criminals, fugitives, runaways so that he could become a brother who are you to make him feel any less than a brother who are you to make him feel that somehow his life isn't as valuable as yours right Philemon, that doesn't make sense if we're brothers and you would never treat me that way you can't treat him that way he can't come back in the same relationship as it was before. It's just not an option in the gospel. If he loved us enough to do that for us, you have to treat him accordingly. And though you lost him for a time, you will now experience the joy of having him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than that, as a beloved brother. Paul said, I've already enjoyed this relationship. Philemon, now it's yours. You can enjoy that type of relationship with him. It's what Christ died to accomplish. And so this reality gives us a, a new perspective on the world that we don't look at any of our brothers or sisters in the faith or any people made in the image of God as more valuable or not depending on their social and economic circumstances. This is why we do support missions across the globe we do care about our families, we care about our neighborhoods, we care about our country, but we also feel compelled in the gospel that as God offered his son for the world, that we should care about the world. And so we wanna help with relief work in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and help an organization that's coming alongside young mothers 
that are pregnant and are not sure how they're going to be able to care for their child. And next week, we have a barbecue where we seek to raise funds to say, we don't know this person directly, but we don't have to know any more than they're a person made in the image of God. There are brothers and sisters that we have who are helping them and saying to them that their life is valuable, eternally valuable. And so we support the Sobi family in Ukraine. One of the, one of the most regular ministries they do in the Ukraine is to go to nursing homes. And they meet with elderly people who don't have family who are caring for them. And just to say to them, uh, you've gone through so much. You were once ruled by the Soviet Empire. Things have changed politically. They're now in this in-between, off-again and off-again battle and war between Russia and Ukraine, and they're just wondering, what is there left in life for them? And there's this family that's able to come to them and say, you know the God who made you? He loves you. And his value in your life isn't how many years you have left. It isn't how many things you still have. But he actually sent his son in the world to die for you so that you could become a brother and sister in the faith. And so we support a school in Serbia that reaches out to youth who are in a country of a 30 to 40% unemployment rate that most of them are in high school or in college and have almost no prospects of employment afterwards in any of the things that they are giving their minds to study. And they're, they're wondering, where's the purpose? Where's the hope? And we support a school that encourages them that there is a grand purpose beyond our individual purposes that they have. But again, to say the value of our lives and the value of the mission comes from our conviction that God loves us in this radical and unconditional way. And then lastly, we see that not only is Philemon a partner in the work, a brother in the faith, but he is a leader in the church. And one of the reasons we see his ongoing leadership in the church is simply because we still have this letter. We have this letter now to read publicly because when he received it personally and it was calling him out for his sin, he listened. He repented. He didn't like rip it up and throw it away and said, I want to make sure no one else reads this because I just want to keep living life the way I want to live it. We would not have this letter. There's no copy machines then. There's no scan and email and this can spread like wildfire. Like this is on uh, animal skin or parchment paper, something given to him. And if he doesn't preserve it and doesn't pass it on and say, yep, we're going to read this, we don't have it today. So the fact that we have it is this willingness on his part as a leader in the church to allow everyone else to see how he's being called out, how he's being criticized and questioned, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to listen. This former slave who's run away from me is a brother who deserves to be set free. And Paul's using the logic on him. Paul's saying, I could make you do this, but I don't want to make you do it, right? It's better if you choose to do it. It's better if out of your freedom you do it. And the very logic Paul is using is, right, isn't life better when you're free to do what you want to do? And that's what I'm asking you to do for Onesimus. Set him free. And in setting him free, you set yourself free. 
You set yourself free from looking at people the way your culture and society and the world around you has you look at them. Now you're free to see them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And now you're free to actually lead in the way that God wants people to lead in his church. This is what we're all called to do as Christians. So when you see a leader in the church, don't think uh, owner of the big house who can have everyone or the pastor of the congregation. All of us, as now the body of Christ, are to be leaders in the church, in the world, in this kind of a way. We accept that our potential and power and authority, whatever we've been given, is not meant for us to serve our needs, but it is our opportunity to lift up someone who doesn't have the same opportunities that we do, who doesn't have the same experience, the same access to justice, the same opportunities for employment. And we say, God, with everything that you've given me, how could I help bring them up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that in this very brief letter we see the implications of the gospel for relationships for churches for communities we thank you for Philemon's willingness to allow you to speak to every area of his life. We thank you for his willingness to preserve a letter that calls out his own sinfulness. That he could later be unashamed for people to know the ways in which he was challenged because he was assured of your love for him your grace in his life. That he did experience the goodness of having someone who was lost back as a brother forever. So we pray that you would help us to do that. Thank you for all the work that you've already done in our lives, but Father, we ask you not to stop. Keep working on us. Keep showing us the areas of our life that need to be brought into conformity with you. Do not settle until your work is done. And so as we sing this song and ask you to continue to be our vision, continue to draw us into greater likeness of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.